This is Michael Easley in Context. Here's a peek at what Michael will be talking about today. Hi, Mom. Chloe, welcome home. So is everything set for Dad's surprise party? Uh, he got called into work. Can I buy you a coffee? I'm waiting for someone. Uh, My dad. Hi, sweetheart. Hey. Welcome aboard PanCon Flight 257 to London. My time today will be six hours and 30 minutes. I love you. Have simply vanished. Chris, let me in! Chris! I know you all want answers, and believe me, so do I, and I'll do my best to get them. I heard some doctors talking. It's not just here, it's all over the world. One of these days the sky's gonna break And everything will escape And I'll know For more information, go to michaelincontext.com One of these days the mountains are gonna fall into the sea And they'll know And now your host, Dr. Michael Easley Never fall December 1503, a man named Michel de Nostradam is born. Uh, he becomes known as a prophet of a sort. He wrote uh, what became known as quatrains, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, where he made a number of predictions that, um, uh, well, let's just say people have followed with intrigue ever since. Um, it's interesting when something happens in time and we say, oh, Nostradamus made a prophecy about that. And uh, you can study endlessly what he did and did not prophesy or predictions that he made. But what's striking to me is when you come to the Bible, let's say conservatively there are 600 plus prophecies that have come true in some form or fashion. Let's even be more conservative and say 300. So if there were 300 Old Testament prophecies that have come true in the person and work of Jesus Christ... Some of them are even so-called extra-biblically proven, meaning there's events that happened outside the Bible that we could point to that parallel the time of the Bible. So when skeptics, maybe where you are in your own personal journey, when you hear about biblical prophecy, uh, you might get uh, defensive or say it's nonsense or look at it pejoratively and not believe it. Scripture is replete with prophecies that did come true. And let's just talk about the birth and the person of Jesus Christ. Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye have written the Left Behind series, published in 32 languages and more than 65 million copies have been sold. And it is considered the best-selling fiction series of all time. It's been my privilege to know Jerry as a friend. So when Paul Lalonde and others wanted to remake the movie Left Behind, we were privileged to talk to Paul. Before we look at some of the details of your production and, and filming, when, when you take a book like this from the way Jerry writes to screenplay, um, what, what is it about it you think, Paul, that makes it such a compelling story? The most compelling thing about it uh, to me is that it's a true story that hasn't happened yet. And 
I think that's what makes it so compelling is is being sit down, being able to sit down and read this incredible, almost like a Twilight Zone story, uh, knowing that it's actually going to happen. And I think that's what sets this apart from anything else. In and of itself, even if that weren't the case, it would still be a compelling story, even if it, it were uh, pure fiction and, and not based on the Bible and not based on prophecy. Um, even Even in that situation, it would still be a fantastic story. But when you add in the fact that this is really going to happen, um, I, I think that's what makes it so compelling. So why do a remake? Well, the, the main reason to do the remake is to uh, get it out to a broader audience. And I think the, uh, the faith-based film uh, world has, has been guilty, myself included, of preaching to the choir forever and ever in the entire, uh, in the entire history of faith-based movie making. Um, very few have ever actually crossed over into a mainstream audience. And so, well, well you're always hoping, as a filmmaker, and, and this is my ninth movie, um, you're always hoping it's going to cross over and lots of people are going to watch this and, and, you know, get to know the truth or start asking questions. The bottom line is there aren't very many people watching who aren't already saved. So that was the vision for this movie was we wanted to tell the story to people who need to hear it, not just people who want to hear it. And uh, the only way to do that was to make it bigger, make it better, put some, uh, some real name actors into it, and try and create a story that, uh, that is story first and message second and not the other way around. So you filmed most of this in Baton Rouge? Yep, all of it. The whole film, wow. What was the attraction to working there? Uh, well, it was just economically made the most sense because of the uh, the state tax incentives, and uh, and Louisiana at the time um, had the best tax incentives. In fact, we were we were down there shooting at the same time as, as some huge movies like Battleship and and Twilight. They were all shooting down there at the same time as us. You you opened our program saying it was a true story, and that was the compelling part of it. So we've got folks that are going to be listening, they're going to watch the trailer, they're going to maybe see the opening weekend uh, uh, promotions for it, and they're going to say, wait a minute, this isn't a true story. This is just a Christian uh, contrived uh, you know, view of the end times. How would you respond to them? I would say, excellent. You don't have to believe it's a true story. In order to enjoy the story, go watch it, and uh, then go home, pick up your Bible, and, uh, and, and you'll see that it is prophesied in the Bible, and then you have to make your own decisions from there. And there's no, uh, you know, there's no altar call in this movie. There's no, uh, nobody turns to the camera and starts talking about Jesus like, uh, like would happen in most, faith, most faith-based movies. Um, this, is, this is more just about uh, creating interest and getting people to ask questions. And, uh, and, and that's really all there is to it. But the great thing uh, about this uh, Left Behind is you don't have to believe it in order to enjoy it. So you got some, obviously, Nicolas Cage is a, is a world-renowned name. Uh, working with these kind of actors, was it what you thought it was going to be? Um, no, to be honest, with, with, with Nicolas Cage uh, specifically, I didn't know the guy. I, I expected him to be a little more eccentric and a little bit more of a weirdo, <laughs> um, just based on, uh, you know, the, the nonsense you read on the Internet and that kind of thing. Um, but he, he's an uh, absolutely super guy, great guy to work with, uh, extremely, extremely professional, cooperative, friendly, just uh, 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 an absolutely normal family man. 
and uh, he, he had his family with him there on the set, and just, uh, just really a super guy and an unbelievable professional. It was just, I, I was in awe, uh, not only of his performances, but just how he's able to turn it on and off, and you think, well, that's, that's why he's Nicolas Cage. Mm. But uh, it, was, it was a treat just to, uh, to get to work with this guy. He's got a face, doesn't he? I mean... <laughs> that he does. It's an amazing face, yeah. Um, He's wonderful. Great guy. I would happily work with him on any movie again. So on, on set, uh, when you're shooting some of the scenes, obviously as an actor or an actress, uh, whether they believe it or not, they're playing a part, um, and that's what they do. But were there any conversations that came up with folks along the way about, do people really believe this, or did you have those kind of opportunities? Not really. I, I think people people are a little... Uh, I mean, at the beginning, people tiptoed around a little bit because, uh, I, I mean... You're, you're coming on, you're doing this, this Christian movie. Everybody obviously had Googled Left Behind and, uh, and, and seen what it was. So I, I think there was a little bit of a, a feeling out process at the beginning where, you know, somebody might stub their toe and cuss and all of a sudden, oh, I'm sorry, 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 as if, you know, as if I'm the Pope. And uh, so it, it took a little while for, uh, for people to loosen up. Um, but once they did, there were there were great conversations. There were great conversations about about prophecy, um, not not you know, sitting down trying to witness to people or uh, or or making altar call speeches at the dinner table, but uh, lots of great conversation and exactly the kinds of questions and conversations that that I'm counting on to come from from the people in the audience um, who get to see this. And and the fact is, people who aren't uh, who aren't Christian, or, or at least who aren't evangelical Christians, or schooled in Bible prophecy? A lot of this was was a complete surprise to them. I mean, there's there's lots of people who've gone to church their whole life and never even heard about any of this stuff. And uh, and and most churches don't teach the uh, teach the rapture or teach any end times uh, in the church. And so you you could go to uh, a lot of churches for your entire life and and never hear about any of prophecy you know it's striking you said that i remember the 70s vividly when prophecy conferences were the big deal i mean you brought all these speakers in you filled conference centers to hear uh, different people talk about end time schemes pre-mill post-mill ah-mill different end time schemes and they, they've kind of fallen off interest and you're, you're right about local churches what, what's your gut on why there is little interest in in end times and prophecy in general really know specifically why it's fallen off. I do know that uh, that the conferences were were led by the same group of guys, all those conferences. It was the same 10 guys at every conference in the 80s, at least, that the, it, it all sort of grew out of the Hal Lindsey thing and, and late great planet Earth. But you had all your same guys who were at all of them, and, and even back then, and that's 30-some that's years ago, yeah. most of them were old guys. Um, some of them are still doing it, and now they're just really old guys. Um, but uh, it, it just never seemed to really get get passed on to a younger generation of speakers. And I think a lot of, of what was necessary back then, which were the prophecy conferences, the, the TV programs, lots of audio tapes and videotapes and all that stuff, that was your only option back then. Right. Now, instead of having your eight speakers that hold prophecy conference, 
now you've got 900 guys with blogs called Jesus is Coming Soon. And so I, I think the interest is still there. I think the people are still there. But I think the, the need for the big events has waned somewhat because everybody has a platform now and you don't have to leave it uh, just to these elite few who can teach prophecy. Mm, that, that's a great observation. Let's go back to the movie sets. Were some of the scenes you're filming and you're doing takes and retakes, were there any that were like exquisite for you, like when you got that one in the can or the way you maybe envisioned it when, when you and Vic and Michael were working on it, you said that was it? Yeah, well, fortunately, there were there were a whole lot of those, uh, those experiences. And uh, I know uh, John Pattis and I, he's the... Uh, the guy I wrote the screenplay with, um, we were there obviously for every single scene and every single minute, and and we'd been, uh, you know, we'd been living and breathing this script for for two years. So every scene was exciting watching it come to life. And and to be honest, there were just so many um, wonderful moments. Um, there, I mean, there's some that that really stand out. The the moment of the rapture. Um, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but. Uh, but that that came out really really well and and it just it just worked and I, I was so excited about that because that that's a tough thing to portray and uh, and and in the past it's always been cheated by just a flash of light and suddenly you know somebody's gone or a car crashes or whatever but uh, it, it really works out nicely and really worked well and uh, there's also a scene where where Nick Cage is is talking to his daughter. And uh, it's a very emotional scene, and, and he's breaking down, thinking that uh, thinking that he, he's never going to see her again. And uh, he he had the the entire set was in tears watching this guy perform. It was wow, just unbelievable. And and that was very moving to me too, because that's when I knew, you know, we've we've really hit it here with this movie. We've really gotten the the great performances that uh, that usually in this faith-based world and, and specifically the low-budget world, um, you don't always get to see, and you don't always get to see great performances all the way down the line. You might you might have the one actor you've spent 80% of your budget on, but very quickly you're down to people who are just, you know, people, the, the coat check lady from your church. And, uh, and, and that's what happens in so many faith-based movies. So it was just wonderful to have such depth of uh, of talent. You've got Chad Michael Murray, Nicholas Cage, of course, Nikki Whalen, Leah Thompson, phenomenal longtime actor, a new actor, Cassie Thompson, Jordan Sparks, uh, on and on it goes. Quite a lineup. It, it really was, and it was. Uh, I mean, it was exciting just to to meet these people, much less uh, work with them. And it was a great cast. Cassie Thompson. She was probably my biggest my biggest treat of the whole thing because she was a, a, a relative unknown. She she'd been on a TV series as a a series regular, um, unswitched at birth, along with Leah Thompson. But uh, she really hadn't done movies, and and she she was 19. In fact, she turned 20 on the set. Huh. And uh, so it was really. She was one real roll of the dice. We had a lot of uh, a lot of options. We had uh, we had over a hundred girls read uh, for the part, um, many of them reading many times, and some of them very well known people uh, who who everybody would recognize, but uh, but nobody delivered a better performance in the uh, the auditions than Cassie did, 
and that was a tough decision as a producer is do you, do you go for another name to add another name to the marquee or do you go for for what was the best performance fortunately i believe we we went for the best performance and we really she she's going to amaze a lot of people she's going to be a big star and uh, i'm going to be a happy man to uh, have played a role in that well, watching the trailer, uh, she does a great job with Nick Cage. Just on the on the you know, few moments you've got up on your on your trailer, it's a very well done piece. Um, well, that was that that scene with uh, that, that's in the trailer of, of her talking to uh, to Nick Cage. That was her first day on the set. That get out! Was, you know, just straight. You, you know, I haven't I haven't really been on a big movie set before. I'm going to walk right in. I just arrived last night. I just got the part three days ago. And here I am sitting with Nicolas Cage, and uh, you'd have every right to be extremely intimidated, and uh, and she was not. She was just absolutely superb, and uh, there was a lot of a lot of celebrating going on. How important are opening weekends for any film, but a faith-based film in particular? I think it's important uh, for for any movie. I think you need the the opening weekend uh, in order to get the word of mouth. Uh, the word of mouth spreading, and so that's that's the big thing. Is you want to you want to get on the radar. You want to hit it with a splash. The the thing I always enjoy is that every time there's a successful Christian movie, um, the the trade publications, Variety and Hollywood Reporter, they always say the same thing, which was this is a surprise out of nowhere. I don't know how many times they have to be surprised before it stops being a surprise. <laughs> They, they do it every time, and I remember with uh, when Courageous came out, and, and they were saying Courageous came out, it's a big surprise. Well, it wasn't a big surprise to me. It wasn't a big surprise to anybody who knew anything about the, uh, the faith-based market, but we're, we're just always ignored, and, uh, and so any, uh, any success you can have an opening weekend, at least it gets people to, uh, to announce the surprise, and Left Behind will be a successful movie. I know that Left Behind will have a successful opening weekend, and uh, it will be a surprise to everyone in the uh, in the movie press. All those people will be surprised one more time, huh? Yeah, that's right. We know the we know the textbook answer to this, and as any believer, Christian, uh, and even if we just broaden it to faith-based individual, when you're up against Hollywood and filmmaking, uh, why? Why the challenge? Why is it so difficult? Because obviously a, a company that gets behind this, they're going to make a decent profit. So why the resistance? Well, I, I think there's, there's certainly less resistance now than, uh, than there was in the past um, because there have been successes. It started, uh, I mean, Left Behind, the, the first Left Behind was, uh, was extremely successful on, uh, on video. Um, it, it was the number one selling independent video of the year, the year it came out. And so it, it did very well. Then, uh, obviously, Mel Gibson's passion uh, came out, and that was one that everybody said no to. He finally had to finance it himself just to get it made. Um, that was successful. Uh, people got all excited. The studios built their, their little faith-based divisions, and, uh, and, and those all quickly disappeared because they didn't really understand the market. And after what we saw with Noah this year, we see that they still don't. Um, left a lot of money on the table by uh, by by being arrogant and being ignorant of uh, of the audience, and uh, so I, I think it's just it's a learning curve, and it, it's going to take a little while. Hollywood's going to have to make 
some movies that they they do like they did with Noah and just you know make stuff up and and uh, and, and change core principles of the Bible. Um, they're going to get backlash. They're going to think we're going to get the passion numbers, and they're not going to get the passion numbers because they've made bad decisions. Um, and it's going to be an adjustment process. In the meantime, there's an opportunity for the independents to come in and uh, and make the good movies that Christians actually want to see, and uh, and have them be more successful than uh, than some of the 200 million dollar movies that are coming out of Hollywood. And I think ultimately down the road. We're, we're going to see some decent Christian movies um, coming out of Hollywood, believe it or not. But it's going to take a while for them to realize that they should have them written by Christians, they should have them produced and directed by Christians, and, uh, and actually produce movies that are, are biblically sound. They don't have to be preachy, mm-hmm. but they need to be sound. And uh, I, I think that'll happen over time. They just need to... To lose a few hundred million more dollars um, in order to come to that conclusion. <laughs> well, and I think Noah was a great start in that direction. Um, I think they left a hundred million dollars sitting on the table that they could have had by making some minor changes which would not have impacted the quality of the movie um, in a negative way at all. In fact, it would have made it better and they could have had uh, a lot more revenue than they did. And hopefully they'll learn from that. Paul, someone's been listening to you and me um, on this broadcast, and uh, they're on the fence. They don't know what the rapture is. They don't know what Left Behind is about. They don't know where they are in their spiritual journey. What would you tell them? I would tell them, go see the movie. Um, that's, the, that's the best way to, uh, to start on something as, as difficult as Bible prophecy. I recommend uh, uh, Tim and Jerry's books as well, because that is a a non-threatening and a, a non-cerebral way to, uh, to approach Bible prophecy and to start to understand Bible prophecy, rather than immediately saying, okay, this Bible prophecy sounds fascinating, I'm immediately going to sit down and start reading you know, a 700-page book about heads and horns and beasts and, uh, and, and try and make sense of it. Um, it, it's, it can be an intimidating topic to, to walk into, and that's why I think the Left Behind book series was uh, as successful as it was. Was it, it made Bible prophecy approachable for for the layperson, uh, whether they're a believer or not? And prophecy has always been a fantastic door opener for for new Christians and for Christians that were not, or for non Christians who were not necessarily spiritually hungry. And, and so, I mean, the, the people who are looking for something, who, who feel the need for, uh, for a spiritual um, element in their life, those are the, the low-hanging fruit, the people that you can reach by standing on the corner with a megaphone um, and, and yelling, you're going to hell. And you can, you can get to those people and, and maybe even think that you're... Uh, you're being successful, even though you've, you've scared away 98% of the people who heard you. Um, but I, I think prophecy is a, a, a great way to reach out to people who have no interest in this stuff whatsoever and, uh, and, and to start to get them to ask questions. And the big one being, is that really in the Bible? And unlike with Noah, the answer is yes. 
We have been talking to Paul Lalonde, producer and writer of Left Behind, October 3rd, 2014 in theaters. And the DVD will be released in January of 2015. Paul, thanks so much for your time, my friend. Blessings. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Okay. Bye-bye. As Paul is encouraged, I hope you will see the movie or rent it or maybe better yet, buy the DVD. Most importantly, where do you stand in your knowledge, in your relationship with Jesus Christ? I think he's the king, and I hope you'll come to that conclusion. This is Michael Easley in context. If you have questions or comments, please let us know at michaelincontext.com Follow Michael on Twitter at Dr. Easley Thank you for listening to Michael Easley in Context Never fall away